Hello, and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 187. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is this week's special guest co-host, the owner of RPGamer.com, Anna Marie Privetier. You pronounced it right. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for joining me while uh, Pete is off getting his beard groomed or whatever, Anna. <laughs> no problem. I'm glad to be on. Honestly, I'm a fan of the show. And when you were like, hey, do you mind being on? I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love to be on. Yep. Well, definitely glad to have you here. And yes, we are back once again to talk about what is going on in the world of Nintendo. So that means some game impressions, some news, and then this week's big topic, which is our holiday non-game gamers gift guide. However, before we get to that, we're going to kick things off with some game impressions, starting with, appropriately enough, Anna, given your background, Hero Land, which is an RPG from Xseed. Yeah, so... Um, you know, I've been a fan of Xseed for quite a few years. I think they yep, do really great work. I think they pick up some really quirky games. Indeed. I saw that they had this at E3 this year, and I kind of kicked myself because I didn't get over to their booth and play it. But now it's out. I have it on my Switch. It's great. Um, so Hero Land's premise is that you are the child of a money-strapped family. They've sent you off to this <laughs> yes. theme park called Hero Land, where people get to play the hero for a day. Yes. And, you know, on your first day of the job and you meet this guy, the, he's a crown prince. He used to be the heir apparent. And then the rules of the monarchy changed. And now he's the 18th in line. And so he's come right. to Hero Land to defeat the Dark Lord and regain his position as mm -hmm. the crown prince. Prince Elric, now known as 18. Yes. Yeah, it's a pretty goofy premise. And that suits this game just fine. It is sort of fantasy, it's sort of comedy, and uh, like you said, it's very unique because of that conceit that it's not a real RPG, it is just a theme park, and in a sense it kind of strips the RPG elements down to their bare essentials because you know, you're know you not really doing everything you do in a normal RPG, you're just kind of the tour guide, you're the assistant, and it's your job to help these hero characters like uh, Prince Elric number 18 to uh, go through these dungeons. You know, you're not the hero yourself, though. And so that means just going through this series of turn-based battles. And it's you know, sort of like Final Fantasy with the active time battle gauge. And, you know, if you don't do anything as the guide, you know, the characters will just sort of fight on their own. But, you know, of course, you want to make sure they win, as a good tour guide should. And so you'll use items and you'll you know, try to cure status ailments. You'll maybe assign some basic strategies to focus on this enemy or to guard. Or maybe you'll give direct commands to certain party members to make them perform a specific move. So you know, that's sort of you know, most of the gameplay is revolving around that. And of course, you, know, you have an active time battle gauge yourself. You, know, you can't just keep giving out commands willy-nilly. So you, know, you sort of have to pay attention to what you're doing. You, know, you have a limited number of actions you can take while the battle is going on, sort of. And so you, know, you just uh, you know, try to do the best you can to guide your party to victory. And from a gameplay perspective, you know, that's kind of what it's all about. You, know, you choose the characters in your party, you buy and assign weapons, you offer the assistance in battle, but, you know, there's no towns, there's no overworld, and there's no, you know, typical exploration. So it's a very unique kind of RPG. Now, I will say that kind of that sort of stripping down to its RPG basics is both its strength and kind of its weakness as well in that the game does kind of require you to repeat dungeons that you've done before. Yes, that is very true. In a little bit of grinding. Yeah. And so if repetition or grinding drives you crazy i don't know if the combat system would carry this game by itself mm -hmm. i think that's totally true that being said the localization is amazing this game regularly breaks the fourth wall very quippy takes itself seriously enough that as soon as you're done the serious parts it gets very silly again and it's great yep yeah i mean i would completely agree with you I did notice that, you know, it has recommended levels for each battle that you go into, and you'll notice pretty quickly, oh, hey, I'm not quite at this level yet after just doing the required battles, so yes, I definitely noticed that you'll have to take optional battles to grind up, but yeah, what really overwhelms that is indeed the story and the writing, and there are all sorts of, you know, story-based, character-based cutscenes in between the battles, and it is just full of great, entertaining 
goofy humor. And, you know, given that so many characters you encounter are just these theme park employees, including all the enemies, you know, that gives plenty of opportunities for silly situations. Like, you know, the fact that like half of the characters you encounter are otters. Why are some of the guests talking otters? Why are a bunch of the employees talking otters? No, no, they're not otters. I have no idea. I I don't know why you're so prejudiced, Chris. (laughs) Well, some of them say they're otters. Some of them claim they're not. Um, I don't really know what the deal is. I can't wait to find out more. I mean, Otter Man, we know that Otter Man couldn't possibly be an otter because he tells us that he's not because he loves his barbecue. Otter Man is not an Otter Man. That's what I've heard. But, uh, you know... He, uh, he does enjoy smashing open clams with rocks, apparently. Yeah, but yeah, I'm looking forward to finding out about his goofy backstory. But, you know, if maybe otters aren't your thing, maybe you're going to enjoy the optional side stories about beards. You know, there is that one character who just really wants a beard. And so, yeah, you take him on a quest to steal a dwarf's bushy beard. And there's a whole lengthy conversation about luscious beards and chopping off beards and... The uh, legendary beard rustle, yeah. which uh, I guess means to rub someone with your beard. And I think they do a really good job of both provide, it, even though you do have to kind of grind a little bit in the game, they do a really good job of providing optional content to do that grinding in. And so as you level up your friendship rating with the various people that you can guide around Hero Land, they will op- open up optional quests. For example, the minister mm-hmm. that comes with Prince Elric is obsessed with beards. Yes, yes, he is. And I'll be honest, that's probably why Pete isn't here. I think Pete is off playing the part of the dwarf and you know off beard wrestling people right now. Another thing that I found really entertaining about this game is that, you know, on top of the excellent writing and fun characters, it also has a lot of personality and charm in the visuals department. You know, in some ways, it's kind of like uh, Paper Mario, but with these big sprites. And, you know, they don't really animate in a typical sprite fashion. They just sort of bend and contort and bounce around the screen. You know, it's sort of like uh, Parappa the Rapper or something like that. Yeah, I, I would almost call it cardboard Mario. <laughs> yeah, kind of is. I mean, I guess technically they're voxels, not sprites. But yeah, whatever you call them, it's really different and cute. And I do like it. And it has this sort of uh, mother vibe to it, which kind of makes sense. As I think some of the dev team members actually worked on that game. Anyway, you add it all together. And, you know, I'm not quite sure if I'm ready to give this game a recommendation. You know, as we said, it can be pretty repetitive with all the grinding you do. And, you know, if you uh, don't do that grinding, you know, there's a good chance you're going to get your butt kicked. But you know, if you don't mind that, if you just want to, you know, take it in, enjoy the wacky characters and the goofy situations and finding out what's going on with the prince and his... Oh, his fan club. I love <laughs> yes. his fan club. Yep, I haven't done too much with the fan club myself, but yep, they are definitely in there. I'm more interested in uh, his dog, the number 17th in the line. I guess that's technically not his dog, but it's No, that's his sibling. <laughs> Technically, I guess, his, I guess, I guess it's it is, his yes. uh, half-sibling. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that works, and I don't really want to ask too much, but uh, yes. There are questions Apparently that just don't need to be answered. So uh, yes, the, yes. the Duke, I don't know if, if you've come across this yet, but the Duke has a little sister. And the way that the succession works at the moment is it's based off of the age. Right. Well, since she's two right now in dog year, she's 14, but next year, when she's three in dog years, she'll be 21. Ah, uh, yes. Which means she'll be older than Prince 18, and he'll be bumped out to 19. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I did hear them mentioning that. But uh, yes, it's a very strange succession that happens in this kingdom. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to find out more. So ultimately, I would say this game is quirky. It's charming. It's well-written. It's very funny. But on the other hand, it's also somewhat shallow in the gameplay department, and it can get pretty repetitive. It does have its appeal for sure, I would say, but it does come with that trade-off of it being fairly limited in a gameplay perspective. But nonetheless, I'm looking forward to continuing to play it and see where it goes from here. Yeah, I mean, I've put in five hours in it so far. I definitely want to keep going, but I think I'm kind of on the same page as you, no pun intended, in that in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I'm enjoying this now, but am I going to enjoy this in 15 hours? Yeah, I guess we'll see. I guess perhaps it really depends on how much beard wrestling we get. (laughs) More beard wrestling! However, that is not the only game I've been playing on Nintendo Switch. 
I have also recently been enjoying the new update to Shovel Knight, that being Shovel Knight King of Cards, as well as Shovel Knight Showdown. So I have a bunch of friends that have been posting screenshots of this on Twitter. But as cool as Shovel Knight is, and as much as I enjoy watching people play it like at speedrun events and stuff, this is not my kind of game. So what <laughs> does King of Cards bring to Shovel Knight to someone who is a noob about Shovel Knight? Well, this is the fourth and final Shovel Knight single-player campaign mode, and like the other campaign modes, King of Cards offers its own distinct gameplay style. King Knight is usually the first member of the Order of No Quarter to fall in battle, and he may not seem to really possess any of the fancy moves of his previously playable cohorts, but in his campaign as a playable character, King Knight is actually filled with you know some very skilled techniques. His main move is this shoulder tackle, and after he performs it and hits an enemy or a wall, he'll bounce into the air and then sort of spin and pirouette around, which allows him to damage enemies or obstacles that are below him. And if he makes contact, then he can shoulder tackle again in the air. And you know, as you might imagine, this allows you to reach some really tricky areas if you have the skills, which you will need if you want to find all the secrets and collectibles. I would say that you know his gameplay certainly is not nearly as pickup and playable as the original Shovel Knight campaign, but you know it's probably a little bit more accessible than the Plague Knight or the Spectre Knight campaign. Also, you're going to have to deal with certain areas in the game where some of the walls won't let you perform the shoulder tackle bounce, and there are also places where if you do it, you know, spinning might cause the floor to be destroyed and you'll sort of, you know, fall off into a pit or into some spikes. And so, yeah, things can get pretty complicated when it comes to using these techniques. Another thing that's interesting about the game is that these levels are very platforming focused and really centered all around this tackle and spin gimmick. You know, in previous Shovel Knight campaigns, it seemed like almost every level was, you know, go through and fight one of the bosses. But in this one, a lot of the levels don't even have a boss encounter. You just reach the end of the stage, you grab onto a rope, which is then carried away by flying roto-rats. Nice. <laughs> yeah, King Knight really seems to love his rats. Uh, he considers them to be his loyal subjects. And uh, yeah, there are all sorts of wacky characters in this game. Uh, being a Shovel Knight title, there are a lot of NPCs to interact with. There are a lot of upgrades to find. There are plenty of sub-weapons to get, many collectibles to find. And yeah, one of the more entertaining characters in the game is King Knight's mother, who just treats her son like some child pretending to be a king, which <laughs> I guess he pretty much is. I love it. Does he get mom aggro on a regular basis? Uh, no, she seems to put up with him just fine. She doesn't really seem to mind and kind of uh, you know, entertains what I guess she considers to be his delusions. She's a, a very uh, thoughtful parent, I guess. There you go. Possibly too thoughtful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, sometimes there will be boss encounters, of course, and I've discovered those to be fairly challenging. You know, in like the main Shovel Knight campaign, I feel like you're kind of on an even playing field as far as you and the bad guys. But as King Knight, it feels like they have way more health than you and uh, you don't dish out nearly as much damage as they do. So, uh, you know, between some of the interesting platforming parts and these boss accounts, it can get to be a fairly challenging game. It's probably not recommended as your first step into the world of Shovel Knight. Uh, nonetheless, it is very fun so far. And then, in addition to all the platforming, there is the actual card game. Wait, there's a card game? <laughs> yes, there is. King of Cards is not just a name. There is actually a full card game in this mode called Joustus. Oh, that's a terrible part. And it involves positioning cards on a grid. So you're uh, sort of pushing these cards around to collect gems. And uh, you, know, you have these different monster cards and attributes. And, you know, the attributes are like which way you can or can't be pushed. And it actually kind of reminds me of the card game in Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, I was going to say, this kind of sounds like Triple Triad. Yeah, it's a lot like that, only instead of flipping the cards, you are pushing them around. And, you know, it's not bad as card games go, but, you know, as with a lot of games of this type, there is an element of luck, and that's especially true since you don't really know what cards you or your opponent may draw next. Plus... There's this whole aspect where you lose a card if you lose a match, which, you know, always just makes me really, really nervous. It's like, oh, man, I don't want to fail at this. So, 
having that in there kind of makes me want to just stick to the platforming stuff. So I kind of hope that there isn't too much of this card game in there, but it is a really well thought out card game. And I think if you are into, you know, interesting, unique card games, you'll probably enjoy this one. You know, you take it all together, I would say I am really digging King of Cards so far, even even if it does feel like it's a bit over-reliant on some of its gimmicks. Is it a gimmick or is it an interesting gameplay mechanic? I think you could consider it either one. I mean, it is a good gameplay mechanic, but it does lean to it very, very hard, uh, more so than, as I mentioned, the original Shovel Knight did with its gameplay. So yeah, just be prepared. You're really going to have to master that shoulder tackle and spin as well as the card game mechanics. So make sure you bring your gaming skills. Then in addition to King of Cards, I have been playing a little bit of Shovel Knight Showdown, which is a four player fighting game. And I've only played through the story mode once, but it seems that most of the bouts involve trying to collect more gems than your opponents rather than justifying them outright. So it's sort of closer to like a Mario Party minigame than say like a brawler. Um, I suppose. I mean, you know, in a way you could maybe compare a little bit to Smash Brothers in that, you know, you're not just trying to defeat opponents. And also, of course, the whole four player chaotic nature of the bouts. Although sometimes it's just one on one or one on two or something like that. But uh, yeah, I suppose you could also compare it to a Mario Party game. That is true. But uh, yeah, you know, there are plenty of characters. There are a lot of stages to unlock. Initially, the choices are kind of limited, but, you know, it seems that there is a lot of stuff in here. You know, initially you can choose from Shovel Knight, Plague Knight, Spectre Knight, and King Knight, and playing them in this mode feels very much like playing them in their single-player campaigns. I was kind of expecting maybe they'd have more fighting game-style moves, but uh, that's not actually the case. And then on top of those characters, there are other characters such as Shield Knight, Propeller Knight, Polar Knight, and the Black Knight, who really haven't been playable before. So it's fun to try out their moves and see what they can do. Shield Knight, in particular, is fun to play because she reminds me a lot of Captain America from Capcom's old uh, Marvel fighting games. Now, is this the only way that she's playable? Is in Shovel Knight Showdown? She's not in any of the campaigns? I don't think so. Not as far as I know. I think this is the first time that she has been playable. Cool. Yeah, the uh, playable campaigns have just been regulated to uh, Shovel Knight, Plague Knight, Spectre Knight, and now King Knight. So, yeah, it's cool to have her in there. She's fun. Sweet. Now, I admit, I haven't had any chance to actually play this game in multiplayer yet, so that would be probably the deciding factor as to whether this is, you know, really a keeper or not. But single-player story mode is fairly fun, and the final boss is especially cool. But overall, taken as a whole, I'm just really glad to finally have a physical version of Shovel Knight on the Switch. I mean, I already knew that Shovel of Hope was amazing. I really like Spectre of Torment. Plague of Shadows was never my favorite or anything, but King of Cards is shaping up very well, and Showdown seems quite solid. You know, obviously, if you do not have Shovel Knight in some form already, and you are at all a fan of platformers, I would highly recommend picking up Treasure Trove, which contains all five modes. I think it is a must-have for any platformer fan, and I am certainly happy to have it in my library. Naturally, I also picked up the new Shovel Knight Amiibo as well. Amiibo! There are four new Amiibo. There's a Gold Shovel Knight, which is a repaint of the old Shovel Knight Amiibo sculpt. And I always thought that was a pretty nifty Amiibo. This is you know, the exact same thing, only now it is gold. It's all nice and shiny. And you know, I liked the sculpt before. I like it just as much now. So it's a pretty cool addition to the collection. And then there is a three-pack that contains Plague Knight, Spectre Knight, and King Knight. I literally just got that three-pack in the mail like half an hour before we started recording this podcast, so I haven't had much of a time to play around with them. It does seem like they're a little plain. There's not a whole lot going on as far as details with the color go. Things are just kind of a little bit flat. You can tell these Amiibo are not made by Nintendo. Some of the paint apps are just a little bit sloppy. And King Knight in particular, that was one where I really was hoping they would do something to make him look sort of shiny and sparkly. And, you know, they did that with the Gold Shovel Knight Amiibo. I think that one looks great. But ever since they first showed King Knight, it looked just very flat, this very basic, plain yellow and orange. And I was hoping they would add something to that character, and they never did. So that comes as a little bit of a disappointment to me. 
nonetheless, I am very happy to have all these characters now in amiibo form. And like I said, I just got them, so I haven't had a chance to try them out in-game yet and see if they have any really cool features or anything. But uh, nonetheless, I am always glad to have more physical amiibo representation of the Shovel Knight cast. And then the next game I wanted to touch on was Super Mario Maker 2, which recently got a pretty major update. Anna, do you play Super Mario Maker 2 at all? I don't, but I watch streamers that play it, and I'm pretty <laughs> excited about this update. I'm a big Zelda fan. I'm a big 2D Zelda fan. Mm -hmm. And so seeing the Mario Maker 2 update, having some Zelda flair to it. Oh, yeah, a lot of Zelda flair. It's like, yay. Yeah, it is a pretty cool addition, and, you know, kind of came out of nowhere you know i was hoping for some sort of cool and different and distinct new kind of addition to super mario maker 2 but i have to say i wasn't really expecting this and you know it's really cool and sort of delivered far beyond my imagination yeah i've been watching streams almost every morning since the new content came out and just seeing people play with the new stuff has kind of been really interesting to me. I grew up with an older brother that also games. Mm -hmm. So I kind of grew up watching someone else game. And so like I jumped on the, you know, streaming game bandwagon really as soon as it was accessible. And it's uh -huh. fun watching people play Mario Maker. Well, it's definitely fun to play it as well. So for people who aren't aware... If you are playing in the classic SMB1 art style, there is now a Master Sword power-up you can get, and it literally turns Mario into Link. And as Link, you can attack with your sword, you can perform a downward thrust, you can fire arrows in three directions, you can throw bombs, you can deflect enemies with your shield, and you can perform a charging dash attack. And weapons like the bomb and the arrows really open up the possibilities with puzzles and switches. And I haven't really fooled around too much with the creative aspect of it myself. You know, I basically just threw Link and Bowser into a background and, like, stabbed Bowser a bunch of times until he was dead <laughs> just to fool around with it. Yeah, sorry, Bowser. But, you know, people are making some really, really cool Zelda-style dungeons with super creative puzzles that really emphasize the various tools that Link has. And, you know, it comes complete with Zelda music and sound effects and other special graphical effects. And, uh, yeah, it's very impressive with what people can do with this. And I am really, really enjoying this take on Mario Maker. I mean, I never really expect this to be a thing that would work, but it totally works. And it's a whole lot of fun. Like I said, I haven't done much creative stuff with it myself, but I'm kind of thinking, you know, maybe I should recreate some Zelda 2 dungeons or something like that if I can find the time. Anyway, I would say that just the Zelda stuff is, you know, plenty as far as an update goes, but uh, there's actually a few other things as well. There are some new enemies, such as Pokey and Spike. There are objects like frozen coins and P-blocks that are temporarily activated by a Switch. And then there are new dash pads in the Super Mario 3D World gameplay style. Plus, there is a new Ninji speedruns mode, which you know, really isn't my thing, but it seems like a worthy addition nonetheless. So, yeah, if you haven't picked up Super Mario Maker 2 yet, or maybe you've just had it sitting on the shelf like I have, this is a great reason to get back into it, I would say. Cool. Anyway, that takes care of our game impressions for this episode. Let us move along to a little bit of news. So first up in the news, Nintendo had a new Indie World video presentation this week. They showed off lots of cool new games, but instead of going through every single title they showed off, we're just going to focus on a couple of our favorites here. Anna, what would you say is one of the highlights for you from this presentation? Oh man, I saw the start of Sports Story uh -huh. and I immediately messaged my group of friends that were all watching the indie world together and i'm like this is golf story 2 this is golf story 2 guys i'm so excited because <laughs> this is golf story 2 and then it started to be like dungeons and there was like a tennis yep. match and there was all sorts of crazy stuff i'm like oh guys i'm not sure if this is golf story 2 anymore <laughs> boom sports story and i'm like yep, ah! yep. Yep, it is Golf Story, taken to the next level. Like you said, it has all kinds of this new stuff. It is not just golf anymore. It's now tennis and, I think, soccer and baseball and stealth missions and dungeon, and dungeon crawling. 
Yep. yep. And fishing as well. Yes. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's kind of funny. There were two sports RPGs on the Game Boy Advance from Camelot, and I loved uh, them. Yes. There was Mario Golf, Mario Tennis, Yep. and they had all these RPG mechanics. You leveled right. up, you improved your characters. Yeah, those were great. Those were some of the best, you know, Nintendo-style sports RPGs out there. And, you know, they never really properly followed up on them. But Golf Story, you know, really took that same kind of idea and ran with it. So it is great to see them continuing that trend with Sports Story. Yeah. And I mean, I was super late to the game in terms of Golf Story. I didn't play it until I think this year, Mm. maybe the end of last year. It kind of blew me away. Yeah, I played it um, a year ago. I played it in October of 2018. Yeah, I picked it up once the physical version came out. Yeah, I, I was so late to that game. And I'm I'm almost mad that I waited because it's so good. It is pretty darn good. And the good. interesting thing is, is since Sports Story has been announced, I've actually seen a few of my friends buy and play Golf Story. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I never finished the original, but I did really like it. And this is certainly one of the games I am most excited for as well. However, I would say that far and away, the game that was shown that I am most excited for is Streets of Rage 4 coming from .emu, Guard Crush, and Lizard Cube in the first half of 2020. Which Streets of Rage had the kangaroo? <laughs> that was Streets of Rage 3. I played a lot of that. And while there is no kangaroo shown in Streets of Rage 4, you know, basically this has everything that a beat-em-up fan would want out of an update to one of the all-time classics. You know, basically, after 25 years since the last Streets of Rage game, we are getting this all-new installment of one of the greatest 2D beat-em-up series ever. You know, it looks spectacular. They think there's going to be four-player multiplayer. It has gorgeous hand-drawn HD graphics. We now know that all three of the original characters from the first Streets of Rage are back and playable in this installment. You know, this game was announced a while ago, I think they finally confirmed it was coming to Switch over the summer, but this is the first time we've actually talked about it here on the podcast. But man, I am super excited for this one. It is easily one of my most wanted games of next year. At dot emu, add kangaroo or we riot <laughs> send tweet. You know, personally, I always liked Max the Wrestler from Streets of Rage 2. But uh, even without Max, even if there is no kangaroo, I'm still super excited for this one. I also am sort of tentatively interested in Super Mash. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to that one, too. That one is coming from Digital Continue, supposed to be out in May. But, yeah, it's a very interesting premise. They call it the game that makes games. And, you know, you're supposed to be like a game dev studio. But that's just sort of being used as the backstory for the fact they're mashing up game genres as you try to create the next big hit. So it combines you know procedurally generated you know you get these mashups of platformer and stealth and rpg and shooter and action adventure and that could be very very interesting right so the idea is is they have sort of like these six basic concepts Mm -hmm. and you choose any two of them and it will randomly generate a game based on those two things right i mean for me i'm pretty excited because one of those genres you can mash up is jrpg and that's pretty much what i play I'm kind of hesitant overall, I think, until I learn a little bit more about the game, because if I have to do different kinds of mashups, like I would not be good at a shoot 'em up platformer mashup that just <laughs> isn't the kind of game that I enjoy playing and I'm not good at them. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing what a stealth shooter is. That could be very, very interesting oh, no. or very, very infuriating. I'm so bad at those. <laughs> Yeah, I do think it has a lot of promise. I agree with you. It does sound very, very interesting. And yeah, it was also on my list of one of the more intriguing looking games that was shown. Uh, Plus, you know, just beyond the mashups, I guess there's other parameters you can adjust, like the enemies you can encounter, the different playable characters, the environments. And in my opinion, it sounds just crazy enough to be fun. So yes, I'm greatly looking forward to that one as well. Um, I think the last thing that I saw at Indie World that I'm interested in, but I feel like I need to learn a little bit more about, is Talos Principle. Oh, okay. Which is a first-person puzzle exploration game. Mm-hmm. And I love that genre. Like, I think it has so much potential. But I'm red-green colorblind. Ah. And so there's a lot of those games, like, for example, The Witness. They're not colorblind-friendly. 
Mm. And so I end up having to do a lot of research on games. It's like, wait, can I play this if I have colorblind? Okay, go to Giant Bomb. Hey, has Vinny said anything? It's an extra layer of things that I have to worry about. And I haven't found a lot of information. So we'll see. However, the interesting thing about that game is that it actually is out now. I believe they did drop it either during or right after the presentation. So hopefully there will be more information about that one soon. Now, that one, it really wasn't on my personal radar, but another one that was, and I can't believe we've taken this long into this conversation to talk about it, was Axiom Verge 2. And, you know, I think it was pretty clear from the way they weighed to show that off at the very end that they thought that was definitely the highlight of the presentation. And yes, it very much was one of the most exciting games for me. I loved the first Axiom Verge. I think it is one of the best Metroid-like games out there. And this, as the prequel, which promises to tell the origins of the Axiom Verge universe, sounds very, very enticing to me. It's got a brand new playable main character, and it seems like it's just going to be very trippy and heady with the same sort of thought-provoking themes as the original. You know, personally, since the first game was, you know, pretty innovative with the powers and upgrades you acquired. That's what I'm most interested in. But I'm really interested to see where they go this time. And given just how good the first Axiom Verge was, I am very excited about this one. Uh, Yeah, I think just about everybody on my Twitter friends list went bananas when this got revealed. So again, it's the kind of genre that I don't personally play, but I love watching other people play it. So I'm pretty stoked to see like a speed run of this game because I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how this game helps uh, redefine the genre as the first one did. A couple others that I'm interested in are Oddworld Stranger's Wrath. And, you know, I have an interesting history with Oddworld. I go way back with them. They were actually the first game company I ever visited or wrote about back when I first broke into the biz nearly 20 years ago. So it's cool to see one of their more interesting games coming to Switch. You know, this game first came out on the Xbox like 15 plus years ago. And you know, while it may be a bit on the old side, it is nonetheless a very distinctive first-person shooter that combines this Wild West motif with crazy characters and living critters as ammunition. And then things just get even crazier than there. So I'm glad to see that one coming to Nintendo platforms in January. And then Liberated from Atomic Wolf also looks very interesting. This is the one that kind of looks like a comic book come to life. It's a cyberpunk action game, but then it basically transitions almost seamlessly between these graphic novel story scenes and actual gameplay, which consists of action and shooting and platforming. And the monochromatic art style really helps the game stand out from the pack and, uh, you know, promises a story told from multiple perspectives. So yeah, that should be a pretty cool game when it comes out sometime in 2020. Hey, speaking of 2020, outside of Indie World, there were also a couple of other interesting announcements that happened in the last week or so. Yes, yes, that is very true. And one of you know the most exciting, I would say, would be that Trails of Cold Steel 3 is coming to Switch this spring. I'm ridiculously excited about this and also kind of cursing myself. I'm pretty excited too. Because I did pick up the collector's edition because no <laughs> way is Cold Steel 3 ever going to be on the Switch. Falcom doesn't make Switch games. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I forgot it was NIS America. Yeah, yeah, I feel the exact same way. I also picked up the Collector's Edition on PlayStation 4. But uh, yeah, you know, it's really interesting to see this game coming out on Switch because, you know, it is this very extensive, deep, multi-layered RPG franchise that's been pretty much just on PlayStation and PC. But Switch owners are finally going to get a chance to jump in. But, you know, it's the third installment of, you know, one of the many series in this very storied franchise. So... But I think that Cold Steel 3, despite the name, is actually sort of an interesting jumping on place because Cold Steel 1 and 2 are games that work as a package and Cold Steel 3 and the unreleased uh, outside of Japan 4 are also themselves a package. So two self-contained stories. So even though it's called Cold Steel 3, I mean, they could have just called it part of the Cold Steel series and kind of avoided the number bloody blah but cold steel 3 also has a ketchup mechanic right inside of the game so it gives you Ooh, what about mustard 
You said it had ketchup, so. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Please continue. Uh, so it, it has a, in case you didn't play Cold Steel 1 and 2 mechanic, here's the most important parts of the story that you need to know. Yes, yeah, so you get to learn all about Reen Schwartzer and his fellow classmates at Thor's Military Academy. And yeah, in the first two games, they went from just sort of these typical students to resistance fighters trying to save their country. And now I guess in the third game, Reen is like an instructor. He's teaching the next generation right. of students. And yeah, I really like those first two games. I haven't actually played the third game yet. But uh, yeah, I'm sure they're going to sucker me into double dipping because I haven't started playing it on PS4 yet. I'm totally double dipping. I don't think I will buy the collector's edition again, but I will definitely... No, I'll just get the digital version. Yeah, I'll buy the Switch game and I'll you know experience it that way. But uh, yeah, you know it's been a really great series, really fantastic characters with lots of deep backstories and mysteries. And, you know, it's very traditional and solid as far as gameplay goes, you know, about as you know, traditional as a JRPG can get. But uh, yeah, it's really, really fun to play. And, you know, if you are a you know traditionalist like that you know you can really not do better than this so yeah it comes highly recommended for me i would say well and i mean i like to sort of speculate about like if this then that when it comes to video game like publishing and development and mm -hmm. to me i kind of think hey so if we have all of these people jumping into the new game on nintendo switch and it sells really well i wonder if that would motivate Falcom and Nisa to work together to make a modern version of the Crossbell games. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. That's the one part of the franchise that's never been localized here, right? Right. So for those that are unfamiliar, there are more games in the series itself, but basically it comes down to there are three Trails in the Skies game, mm -hmm. um, and they're available on multiple platforms, mostly Sony and PC. Right. Um, and then there are two Crossbell games, which were never officially localized. Both of them have fan translations that you can load into legal copies of the game. And yeah, they just never came out here. And then there's the Cold Steel arc. And you don't need to play all of the games to understand what's going on because they do give you basic explanations. It helps a little bit. So, you know, if you've played Trails in the Sky and in Trails of Cold Steel, they mention a famous bracer. Right. You will know that they're talking about a very specific character from uh, Trails in the Sky. Also, it's just really cool to see one of these characters pop up. You're know, like, right. oh, yeah, that was a great character from this other game here. So, yeah, the whole interconnected nature of the series is one of the things that makes it so much fun. But not knowing who those characters are isn't going to be punishing because right, a lot right. of these stories are being told to people who don't know these characters in-universe. Yes, I suppose this is true. So, yeah, if you haven't played a Trails of game previously, don't feel like you need to start from the beginning. You can jump into Cold Steel 3, as bizarre as that sounds. Also, I really wouldn't be surprised if they end up bringing out Cold Steel 1 or Cold Steel 2, You know, whether it's through NIS or through XSEED. Uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out, I suppose. Yeah, that starts to get complicated, though. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose it does. But uh, like you said, it's interesting to speculate what might happen. And just great to see Falcom, you know, finally embracing the Switch a little bit more. So, yeah, I would uh, love to see them, more stuff coming out from them. I mean, Falcom's stance is that they themselves aren't interested in making Switch versions of their games, but they're more than happy to bring on a partner that's willing to do so. And so that's, I think, one of the strengths of having NISA and Falcom working together is NIS has the resources to do those ports. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and as we were alluding to, you know, aside from the regular edition of the game, there is a $100 collector's edition that includes an art book, a music CD, six postcards, a steelbook case, and a plush toy of one of the mascot characters from the game. So, yeah, if you want to get into the series and you want to dive in headfirst, that sort of gives you the perfect way to do it. Yeah, the mishy plushy that comes in the collector's edition is hanging out on my desk. <laughs> my cat likes to bat it around. <laughs> oh, no. Keep him safe. At any rate, yeah, I just think it's great to finally see this series head to Switch. So speaking of an interesting series heading to Switch, we got an interesting teaser on Twitter this week. Yes. Yes, we did. That was about MLB The Show, which has always been a franchise on the Sony PlayStation. Right. And it's developed by a Sony studio. 
Yes, indeed it has. And then, so PlayStation put out a tweet that was like, hey, what would you guys think about MLB The Show coming to other platforms? Yeah, and then Nintendo retweeted it, and I believe Microsoft did as well. Yeah, and so it was like Nintendo of America in particular quote tweeted it and just put like a baseball emoji as their reply. Mm -hmm. So it's like, hmm, I wonder what's happening here. Yeah, it certainly sounds like Basically, a first-party Sony franchise is going to be coming out on Switch as well as Xbox. But, I mean, you know, first we had Microsoft doing games on Switch. Now it's like Sony's going to be doing it. I mean, we don't know for sure that Sony would necessarily be the publisher. But uh, still, it's pretty crazy stuff if that's really what it turns out to be. What crazy world are we living in? I know, I know. Trails of Cold Steel and now MLB. It's a far cry from the... Um days of sega does what nintendo or you know even a few years ago and people are like oh nintendo's done with they should go multi-platform now nope shoes on the other foot now oh they should stop making hardware and just make games that's <laughs> what they're good at exactly exactly yeah i mean on the other hand you know you think about does this mean other things could be on the way from Sony? No, I don't think so. I think this is probably going to be a very special case because of their deal with the MLB. But still, like I said, crazy times. Very interesting. Crazy times indeed. Oh, I'm totally calling it God of War on the Switch. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yep. probably not. Kratos and Smash Brothers. <laughs> um, one last little bit of news to discuss is that Basically, as we are recording this, the Game Awards are going on, and there was a pretty cool announcement about a new RPG that is on its way to Switch, yes. apparently exclusively. Bravely Default 2. Yeah, now that's weird because I thought there already was a Bravely Default 2, but... So it was called Bravely Second. That's right, that's right. Now, the details of this are still kind of a little bit sketchy. I'm sure we'll get a press release that comes out after this podcast is done and we'll all be silly. But <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be new worlds, new people, new story. Yeah, I mean, at any rate, you know, the Bravely Default games have been pretty great. So it is most excellent to see this series continuing on Switch. And, you know, whatever that dev team does, I am pretty much there for it. So, yeah, very cool to hear that indeed. And it is nice to see them come back to the Switch since... Um, the second Octopath game is going to be, at least for the moment, mobile exclusive. That's right. That is true. I mean, that's cool for me because I play games on my iPad, but a mobile game <laughs> isn't for everybody. Yep, yep. I'll be playing that one if it doesn't come to Switch. So, But uh, Bravely Default 2, totally there for it. And hey, thumbs up to Fire Emblem Three Houses for winning Best Strategy Game. Yay! I love that game. Indeed. Indeed. Yep, for sure. Anyway, that does it for our news for this week. So I think it is time for us to take an intermission, and then when we come back, we'll discuss this week's big topic, which is our 2019 Holiday Non-Game Gift Guide. We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is our 2019 Holiday Non-Game Gift Guide. That's right. It is that time of the year again, the holiday gift-giving season. And, you know, we're assuming that if you are listening to this podcast, you probably already know about all of the actual video games that are out there. You know what games to buy or download for your Switch or, you know, for your friend's Switches. And all of your gaming loved ones probably already have Zelda and Pokemon and Luigi's Mansion 3 already anyway. 
But, you know, if you are looking for a gift either for yourself or for a fellow gamer, well, here are a few suggestions that are related to the fun of Nintendo gaming, but go a bit beyond the actual games themselves. Yeah, this is kind of a topic that's near and dear to me because um, I have family members that don't want to buy me games. And so (laughs) when, you know, they come to me and it's like, all right, I'm going to be buying your Christmas gifts. What do you want? Don't tell me any games. I mean, plus, you know, when it comes to my family, it's like, well, I basically already bought all the games I wanted. But as for the other stuff, sure, there's still uh, plenty of room to, uh, you know, share in the video game enthusiasm. So, yeah, that's sort of the idea behind this big topic. So uh, let me start off with my first suggestion for the non-game gift guide. And that would be the Art of Super Mario Odyssey art book. I loved Odyssey. Yeah, Odyssey was a great game, and you know I talked about this book a couple episodes back when it first came out. This is a 366-page book jam-packed with amazing artwork from what I would consider to be one of the best games ever made, really. And you know, most of the artwork in here is conceptual, behind-the-scenes stuff. That's my favorite kind. I mean, there's a decent amount of final production art as well, but for the most part, this is a great look at making every character, every outfit, every enemy, every level, every logo that appears in the game, and it is chock full of designer notes that really give context to a lot of these images. So, yeah, I just find this to be really... Beautiful, fantastic, detailed, and a great companion to one of my favorite games on Switch. Yeah, and I love this sort of behind-the-scenes stuff. That Yeah, for sure. There's so much stuff that goes on behind development that even sometimes people working on the game don't even get to see. <laughs> That's and, true. You know, as someone who grew up playing games and was totally outside the industry to someone who is a hobbyist, Um, you know, news and editorial site to someone who works in the video game industry, I've kind of been through all of the stages of what do I get to know about games before they come out. And so I love seeing this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's especially true when it's a game that's as amazing as Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah, you can pick up this book. Uh, The list price is 50 bucks, but if you go onto Amazon, you can probably get it for around 33. Yeah, it's a great book for anyone who likes Mario. Uh, So what is on your list, Anna? I think the top thing that I think about is like, what do you buy for a gamer that has all the games? Um, Storage Mm -hmm. cases. So, (laughs) you know, I have a storage case for my Nintendo Switch because I carry it around everywhere. Um, But one of the things I actually asked for this year was a storage case for games. Okay. Because I don't always want to have all of the cases of my games kicking around, um, just kind of taking up room in my living room. I would much rather put them somewhere that's a little more compact. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for a case that just carries the Switch game cards themselves? Yeah, yeah. Best Buy has them. You can find them on Amazon. Even Walmart has one. And are there any particular designs that really stand out to you? Honestly, I have these cheap plastic cases that hold about half a dozen 3DS games. And I ended up buying something very similar when the Switch first came out. They didn't have as many storage places as they do now. I think you could buy cases that should be four by two. So eight games in total. Okay. All right. And what would be the average price for something like this? Oh, it kind of varies all over the place. If you want to buy one that's a nice quality, shoot for that 15 to $20 range. If you are mostly just keeping them as a storage and not going to be putting the games in and out of them a lot, you can get them for as little as five bucks. Okay, good suggestion. So my next pick is the Chrono Orchestra Music CD, which you can pick up on the Square Enix online store. This is another one I mentioned on a fairly recent episode, and it is an absolutely phenomenal orchestral performance of the songs from Chrono Trigger, which, in my opinion, has one of the best soundtracks on the Super NES. These are fantastic renditions of some of the most memorable songs in the game performed by the Tokyo Philharmonic Orchestra and, of course, composed by Yatsunori Misuda including the intro title song, the Millennial Fair theme, the 600 AD Overworld theme, Robo's theme, Shala's theme, Magus's Castle, and more. Ah. It only has 
eight tracks, and it's not particularly long, but man, it is a soundtrack you'll want to listen to again and again and again. I've pretty much had on repeat ever since it came out a few months ago. But the most important question, does it have Scars of Time? Well, that's the interesting thing. There are actually two CDs. You can pick up the Chrono Trigger orchestral CD, and then there is also a separate Chrono Cross orchestral CD, and they're not cheap. You can get them for like 35 bucks a piece, so yeah, it's pretty expensive for you know a music CD. I, as far as I know, there's not a digital version of these, or you can get the special box set, which includes both, plus a bonus disc of piano tunes. But yes, the answer is... In the Chrono Cross CD, yes, Scars of Time, or Time Scar, as it's sometimes called, is indeed on there. So yeah, it is a great selection of music. And like I said, it is pretty pricey. The box set is 80 freaking dollars, but in my opinion, it is totally worth it. So, you know, for the Chrono fan in your life, I would say it makes a excellent gift. So what's next for you? The thing that I suggested for a non-gamer to give to a gamer is a phone case that's modeled uh. after their favorite gamer system. Uh-huh. So, you know, retro is really big. Um, you can actually get some pretty cute classic Game Boy cases for the phone, mm-hmm. usually around 15 to $20 a piece. Um, and you can get them in a variety of colors too, just like the classic Game Boy. No. Yeah, actually, I have a purple, very Game Boy color-inspired case for uh, my iPhone, in fact. Yeah, that's a good choice as well. Yeah, there's some pretty neat stuff out there. A lot of it, unfortunately, isn't officially licensed, but, uh, you know, they're pretty cool nonetheless. So the next ones for me are a few video game-based Blu-rays, and probably at the top of that list, I'm going to say, is Detective Pikachu. (gasps) That movie was so good. Yeah, you know, against... All odds, the live-action Detective Pikachu movie was actually very, very good. And, you know, I certainly had my doubts going into it, but I have watched it several times now. It's a very good adaptation of the game. It does an excellent job of bringing the Pokemon into sort of the real world. And, you know, I think it's in no small part to Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu. Ryan Reynolds. Who does a lot of really funny stuff and... Yeah, I mean, he kind of says stuff that you, like, never expect them to ever say in a Pokemon movie. Like, if we tried to put some stuff that, you know, he says, like, in an article in the Nintendo Power, they would have been, no way, we are just not, we're not approving this. But, you know, they let him get away with a lot of stuff, and it adds up to just a really, really fun movie. I think they did an interesting job of, like, maintaining the Pokemon tenants while still kind of cutting loose in terms of, like, how mature the topics can be. I'm not sure I entirely follow you, but uh, yeah, I think they gave him just enough leeway to keep things, uh, you know, very appealing to a wide variety of fans. Well, for example, you know, there's always sort of a tenant in Pokemon material that Pokemon fight each other, but nothing dies and you can't eat Pokemon. And so like... I've eaten Pokemon. (laughs) I'm horrified. They're full of cream. Ooh, that sounds delicious, actually. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) You know, I think they do sort of an interesting mishmash of, you know, tackling sort of more mature content. Some of the things that come out of Pikachu's mouth, you would never hear in the cartoon. (laughs) Right, While still sort of maintaining that, like, Pokemon feel and the vibrancy of a Pokemon world. They did a cool job just stuffing Pokemon everywhere into that movie. Yes, yes. Absolutely. And then, you know, if you do pick up the release on Blu-ray, you know, it has a bunch of cool extras like this detective mode that shows a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff and, you know, points out lots of Pokemon facts. So, yeah, you can pick this up at, you know, pretty much, you know, any place like Best Buy or Target for like 20 or 25 bucks. So even if it's not someone who's a hardcore Pokemon fan, if they have like any interest in the franchise at all, I think they will probably find this fairly appealing. Uh, And while we're on the subject of video game-based Blu-rays, I would also probably suggest the animated Castlevania show, which can be purchased on Amazon for, I think, $15 for Season 1 and about $22 for Season 2. You know, that's very highly recommended for old-school vampire hunting fans who don't mind something that's sort of M-rated. 
And then there's also the recent release of the second season of the Ace Attorney anime, which is split into two parts at about 45 bucks each, which is a rather decent adaptation of the third Ace Attorney game. Can't go wrong with any of those, really. I'm still hoping that they uh, localize the live-action Ace Attorney someday. <laughs> yeah, I did grab that one on DVD, but I would certainly pick it up again if it got an English dub. All right, so for my next gift... This is actually one that I got for my birthday early this year. Mm -hmm. I got a power strip tower. Uh -huh. And so the idea behind this is it's got a lot of plug spots. Okay. I think my tower has five levels to it and five sections around each side. Okay. So it's got a lot of plugins in this. Not, and not only is there actual like plug-in plugins, but there's also USB plugins. And the thing that I really like about this is you press a button and it turns off or on the level of the tower that you've pressed the button next to. Uh -huh. So there's five buttons that go up and down the tower. You press the first one, the bottom layer of the tower turns on. You press the second one, second bottom layer turns on. I really like that because, you know, I have pets. I have friends that bring over their kids. I don't want anybody accidentally zapping themselves on an active, <laughs> you know, outlet that I'm not actively using plugged in. It's indeed, great indeed. because, you know, I'm always charging something. I have to plug in all sorts of stuff. And so just having these plugs that are handy is great, especially with the switch. Yeah, that definitely sounds convenient. So I would say the next one for me then would be the Splatoon inkling girl figma action figure there have been a lot of you know really fantastic high-end nintendo figures out of japan in recent years and i kind of feel like this year 2019 it hasn't had quite the quantity of past years there are still some really really great collectible pieces and this inkling girl figma is certainly one of the most notable you know, Figmas are known for being super detailed, super poseable. You know, they've made some really cool ones in the past based on Zelda and Metroid and Fire Emblem, just to name a few of the properties they've covered. And the Inkling Girl is right up there with the best. The figure comes with the splattershot weapon, uh, some ink spraying effects, removable headphones, and interchangeable faceplate for a smiling victory pose or a regular action pose. And actually, she can be positioned in all of her iconic poses from the game. You know, it doesn't come cheap. It probably will run you about $60. You can pick it up from BigBadToyStore.com for about that price. But yeah, if you want to have a really cool collectible from an excellent franchise, this would be a great way to go. And then if you really want to splurge, there's actually an Inkling Girl 2-pack that includes Inkling Girls from both Splatoon 1 and 2. And it comes with even more weapons and accessories, but that one will run you around $130. Nonetheless, as far as action figures go, you can't do much better than that. So um, my next gift suggestion is going to sound weird, but hear me out. Okay. Batteries. Batteries, huh? And yeah, so it was kind of a Christmas tradition in my house growing up that we would get batteries in our stockings. Okay. Yeah, I guess if you're still using Wii remotes or something like that, you can use some batteries for that. Sure. Well, and honestly, TV remotes eat those things up like crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true, too. And I mean, if you're like me, you may or may not still have your original Game Boy and woo, those things suck batteries. Woo. <laughs> And it's funny because it wasn't until I like left my parents' house as a teenager and started living alone that all of a sudden I'm like, I never have batteries for anything anymore. <laughs> Gamers don't remember batteries. Love your gamer. Get them batteries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could uh, always use them for my mouse on my computer. That thing drains batteries like nobody's business. Not a bad idea. Not a bad, cheap idea at all. And last but not least, and again, hear me out on this, I love gaming socks. Gaming socks? Because here's sort of the dilemma that I run into. I'm not even sure I knew there were gaming socks. <laughs> I own gaming socks because I have lots of gaming t-shirts. Yep, But here. the older I get, the more I have to be, you know, like an adult. And it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> Because, yourself. <laughs> look, I have some adulting I need to do and I just can't avoid it. And I can't wear my <laughs> cool gaming tees when I'm adulting most of the time. I just bought a Golden Axe t-shirt yesterday. <laughs> and I, every time I see you, you're wearing your wrestling t-shirt. 
Ah, winner is you, yes. Oh, more and more, the older I get, the less I can wear my gaming tees to do cool stuff. But <laughs> then I don't feel like I have cool gamer gear that I can wear regularly. So instead, I have gamer socks. Gamer socks. And it's cool because you can get socks printed with almost e anything. I have a pair of gaming socks that have Nintendo controllers all over them. Uh -huh. Like old school NES controllers on them. They're great. All right. Yeah, that's probably a fairly affordable gift as well, huh? Yeah, most socks that I've bought for myself or I've received of gifts, they're in that 10 to $15 range. They're perfect for like if you have a white elephant or you have like an office party or you just want to give a butt a gift. They're in that great under $20 range. Okay, cool. And where would you suggest people look for these if they do want to pick this up as a present? Oh, gosh, there are actual like actual sock dedicated websites out there. But really, you can probably find just about any pair you're looking for on Amazon. Okay. All right. Definitely good to know. Well, I have one more suggestion as well. And, you know, we are going from something that is nice and affordable to something that is very much on the opposite end of the spectrum. And, you know, even though this is supposed to be the non-game gift guide, this is actually a game, I suppose, because I'm talking about one of these not-quite-full-sized arcade game cabinets that is available from Arcade 1-Up. Specifically, the one that I would recommend as, you know, a great gift to the gamer who has everything, basically, would be the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cabinet, which came out a few months ago. Oh, I've seen these. These are these half-side cabinets that you play while sitting on a chair, right? For the most part, some like that. I mean, they also come with risers, so you can still stand up while playing them. And they're probably more like three-quarters size rather than half size. But yeah, they do have some different variations. But yeah, there is now one of the classic four-player TMNT arcade game, which is perhaps my favorite video game ever made. Definitely my favorite arcade game ever made. You know, I love the NES port that came out like, you know, 30 years ago. That was really good for its time. But, you know, it was the NES. It didn't quite meet the standards of the actual arcade game. But yes, now you can actually get the four-player authentic arcade version right in your own home for, you know, a fairly affordable price. Plus, it comes with its sequel, TMNT Turtles in Time. And I played this machine for like at least an hour at this year's E3. I can say it is pretty much spot-on perfect when it comes to multiplayer beat-em-up action. I would say no game does it better. So if you have the space and 400 bucks to spare, this would be an amazing gift for sure. Now, remind me, is this the TMNT game that has the underwater level that everybody hates? No, that is the NES game. This is just pretty much a straightforward beat-em-up, you know, button masher, quarter oh, eater. Oh, side-scrolling brawler. Crap. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Played a lot of yep. those with my brother as a kid. Yep, yep. Yeah, absolutely. They are a whole lot of fun. And being able to play that, you know, right from the comfort of your own home without having to put a quarter into the machine is absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, for the gamer that has everything and, um, you know, plenty extra cash to spare, it is great. I'm going to jump right on buying one of those. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, maybe not. I just, <laughs> maybe I'll put it on my wish list, though. Someone's got $400 for me, right? <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. And with that said, that takes care of all the suggestions from this year's Gamers Non-Game Gift Guide. Hopefully there was uh, something in there that might appeal to you or spark an idea for the gamer in your life. Tubular, man. <laughs> you can say that again. But yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up this week's episode of the podcast. However, before we go, we do have time for one more thing, and that is a dramatic reading. Yay, this is my favorite part of the podcast. This time, it comes from the Nintendo Switch eShop description of the game Truck Simulator USA. Drive across America. Play Truck Simulator USA. Want to know what driving an 18-wheeler feels like? Truck Simulator USA offers a real trucking experience that will let you explore amazing locations. This American truck simulator features many semi-truck brands with realistic engine sounds and detailed interiors. Drive across America, transport cool stuff such as vehicles, gasoline, gravel, food, and many more. Become a professional truck driver and enjoy the career and the online multiplayer mode. Drive across America.
Play Truck Simulator USA, the best truck simulator 2017. Features many American truck brands, USA, Canada, and Mexico. Different climate locations, desert, snow, mountain, city. Improved controls, tilt steering, buttons, or virtual steering wheel. Manual transmission with H-shifter and clutch. Realistic engine sounds, V8, Cummins, etc. Lots of trailers to transport. Multiplayer mode and career mode. Visual and mechanical damage on vehicles. New weather system, snow, rain, sun. Request new trucks or features on our social pages. This is why you're supposed to hire an editor. <laughs> I, you know, they kind of lost me when they told me it was only the best truck simulator of 2017. Look, they're only two years behind. I mean, if it's not even the best truck simulator of 2019. <laughs> I don't know about this. Or even 2018 for that matter. I don't know. I don't know. I've got, I've got questions. I like that USA, Canada, and Mexico are like a top build feature. <laughs> I like the fact that the cool stuff that you get to transport is gravel. <laughs> gravel. I mean, oh, well, I, think I cool only get stuff, to I only get to transport the coolest stuff in my truck. I get I to all gasoline. Gravel. That's what I've always been hoping for. Oh, but don't forget, you can transport many more. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that part. Yep, Truck Simulator USA available now. Can't wait to drive across American. <laughs> Please look forward to it. <laughs> Anyhow, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, the Hoff, on Twitter at Chris the Hoff, and you can find Anna at AMPrivateer, A-M-P-R-I-V-I-T-E-R-E, or you can find RPGamer at at RPGamer. That one's a little easier. <laughs> also, you can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Anna Marie Privateer. Thanks for inviting me to the show, Hoff. And our maniacal monarch, King K. Rule. <laughs> we will see you next time.